You've, you guys have seen a lot of me today. I'm sorry. Um, uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Stacy and his family, have they've had a great week. They've been gone camping, and they have been so busy with Stacy ever since he's taken over. It was time for him to be able to take a little break, and so we are so glad that he was able to do that, and they come back tonight. We have the privilege today to listen to uh, Pastor Ron Routon, which we are very excited to hear what God has, the, the word that God has laid on his heart. Um, Ron asked me about two weeks ago, he said, man, I'm going to be preaching and uh, the verses I'm going to be talking over is about 48 verses. And, he, uh, and I said, okay. And he said, I was wondering if you'd read those for me. And I said, I said okay. Um, so I've been practicing for two weeks because it is, it is a long one. Um, but, but we're going to get through it together. And before I have you stand, something that Stacy has kind of started is that we stand when we read the word because we honor it and we value it. So if you'll go ahead and stand with me. If you cannot stand, it's okay. There are not points counted against you. We are not keeping track. But if you're able to stand... Maybe you make it the first 24 verses. I mean, I might have to sit, but we're going to make it today together, and we're going to read through this. But before I start, um, I don't know who this is for. I feel like it's for someone in the room. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. But it, as, as a kid, I, um, whenever the teacher would call on me, I was really nervous to, to read in front of the class. It wasn't, it wasn't my thing. I was really worried about missing a word or stumbling or kids making fun of me. And so the teacher had grace for me, and she never picked on me and never had me get up and speak and somewhat did me a little bit of a disservice because I never got over my fear. Um, but now I'm a pastor, and I have to do these things. Um, but for anyone in here, I feel like it is for someone in here, if, if there's something that's ever held you back, a fear inside of you that you've just felt, man, I can't do that, or maybe I'll mess up, it's in the mess-ups where we really meet Jesus. It's fumbling over the words. It's getting it wrong. That's where Jesus gets to shine through you. So I don't know who that's for, but I felt like it was for someone. We're in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. Um, hear the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The, vo the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found um, their way to Simon's house. 
um, and was stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I am the one you were looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is the righteousness of God, a God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising my objection. May I ask what you sent me for? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God has sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judah, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who under the power of the devil, because God was with them. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the, Jewish, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came, all who heard the message. The circumcised believes who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard from speaking tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Amen. You may be seated. 
And let's honor Ron Routen as he's coming up. Would you guys please give him a hand? Before I begin, I have a few words to say. First of all, I want to thank Matt for his eyes, youthful eyes, his voice, better than mine at this point, much better, his heart and his spirit. Appreciate you, Matt. <clears throat> I realized that uh, I would not be able to read that for those 48 verses plus do this message, so I asked Matt to do it, and now I know why I asked him, based on what he said. I want you to understand that this is not an old person's movement going on here. There's not let the old people preach. Uh, they're getting older. Uh, I'm older, much older than, uh, than Elliot Tepper that was preached last week. Elliot Tepper preached just because he's Elliot, and now he's gone, I guess. And then they asked me to preach because uh, uh, Stacy needed some time off. You know, he had a funeral service for his mother and then preached the very next Sunday, uh, just a few days later. So we needed a time. I also wanted you to know that uh, this is not a statement with this, what I'm wearing this morning, uh, that I'm not saying this is what we should wear. I want the young people to know that. Uh, Actually, we took care of a very effective, uh, affectionate dog this past week, our grand dog, and, uh, and he, uh, he scarred me and scratched me and bruised me all over my arms, and that's why I'm wearing a long shirt. I didn't want you to think it was my wife that did this to me. Uh, not that she's not passionate, but she doesn't bruise me. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, Lord, and use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our story this morning, our text, takes place in two cities in Israel. The first is Caesarea, which was named in honor of Augustus Caesar because you know that uh, Israel at the time was under the Roman Empire. They had conquered Israel. Augustus Caesar, it was named Caesarea, it was named after Augustus and it was located on the Mediterranean Sea, about midway the city of, of the state of Israel. The second city is Joppa, which was also on the Mediterranean, about 30 miles to the south of Caesarea. There was a Roman centurion stationed in Caesarea by the name of Cornelius. Now, the strength of Rome was its military, the famous Roman legions. There were 30 legions with 6,000 men, very well-trained men in each legion, a total of 180,000, but in wartime, 250,000. For better troop movement, commerce and communication in time, they built 55,000 miles of roads, some which are still in existence to this day. There was that, at that time what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. 
And that peace was because of fear of what the Romans could do. And that made travel relatively safe and any unrest was swiftly dealt with. Some scholars feel that's why Jesus came at this time because for the first time you could travel in relative safety on roads. The legions were made up of 10 regiments of 600 men and each was given a different name. Cornelius was in the Italian regiment. As a centurion, Cornelius would have been in charge of 100 men or one-sixth of a regiment. Now, the legions were the conquerors, but it was the centurions who lived with the populace that maintained the peace. The Roman centurions were carefully selected. They were iron-disciplined, well-trained, brave-hearted, fearless. The Roman centurions provided the necessary stability to the Roman military system to maintain the Pax Rabana. Now, five Roman centurions are mentioned in the New Testament. All five are mentioned in a favorable light. I want to mention just a couple of them. One was from Mark chapter 15. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. The disciples at that time had never said that, but the centurion did. One more example is in Luke chapter 7. A centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking them to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when he, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve you have to come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. And he said, because I'm a man under authority, and I say this one go and he goes, this one come and he comes. And he said, and I can see that you're a man under, uh, under authority also. He didn't say that, but that's what he thought. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and at him and said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in all Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well, healed. Cornelius was also that caliber of man, a man of true character and integrity. Verse 2 states, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So we see that Cornelius was a religious Gentile. Scholars say many Christian or many Gentiles were attracted to the moral and ethical standards of Judaism and even attended synagogue meetings where they would have heard the Old Testament. Though the Romans had many gods, many gods, Saying that Cornelius was God-fearing seems to show that he believed that the God of the Jews was the God, and apparently the only God. The text also shows that Cornelius had adopted some of the practices of the Jews, such as prayer. Religious Jews pray three times a day, at the third hour, which is at nine o'clock, the ninth hour, which is at six o'clock, I mean three o'clock, and at sunset. So when Cornelius had his vision, according to verse 30, he had been in prayer. 
before we go any further, I want us to understand that although Cornelius was devout, religious, and God-fearing, he was not a Christian, of course. So knowing these things doesn't make you a Christian, guys. It doesn't. However, I do feel he was a seeker of the truth. And anyone who is truly seeking truth will wind up at the feet of Jesus, who is the truth, isn't he? The way, the truth, and the life. Then we read in verse 3, one day at about 3 in the afternoon while he was praying, he had a vision. Cornelius distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and that word angel comes from the word angelos, and the word angelos means sent. So there are no angels that are decided, I think I'll go down to earth and check things out. That's not happening. Hebrews 1.14 states, so are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. This angel was sent by the Lord. Sent by the Lord. He didn't come on his own reconnaissance. Now, what, what was the reaction of Cornelius when he saw this angel? Was it one of great joy that the Lord was going to directly give him a message? What an honor to be visited by an angel. No. First sword says, Cornelius stared at him in fear, in fear, and asked, what is it, Lord? Now, why fear? Why fear? Why would this, remember that centurions were very, very brave and fearless. So why was he fearful? Well, I'll tell you why he feared. Let me tell you a few other stories. When the angel appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist in the temple, he was startled and the scriptures say, grip with fear, grip with fear. When the angel appeared to Mary, one of the first things he had to say was, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. When the angel appeared to the, uh, you know this, when the angel appeared to the shepherds prior to Jesus' birth, they were terrified, the scriptures say. And the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. When a mortal comes in contact with perfect holiness and righteousness, we at that moment are convicted of our sinfulness and, are well, and, and become afraid or fearful. So that explains why it was fearful. Now, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, sometimes we may entertain angels unaware and that, that, that they are angels at the time and therefore we're not afraid. I've got one example of that in my own life. Uh, it was when I was getting ready to go to seminary. I was at the Messiah College at the time, uh, uh, CFO camp, and I was leading a prayer group of men. And uh, there was a young man in the group I'd never seen before. His name, he said his name was Charles. He was a handsome man, six foot two or three, uh, good looking, very handsome, full beard, sort of like Kyle's over here. Uh, and, uh, and, but not more handsome than Kyle, but like, had a beard like Kyle. Uh, and uh, so uh, Charles, I was, I was getting to tell him, I was very excited. I'd been called to ministry. I was going to be going to Princeton. And uh, this man said to me, Charles said to me, there is great danger for you in seminary. Be very careful what you allow your mind to receive. And he didn't say don't go. He said there's great danger. But, but, but by the way, there is great danger for everyone in seminaries, guys. Matter of fact, people that have been there call them cemeteries instead of seminaries. There's very great danger. 
He didn't say don't go, but I, I, I took that literally, exactly what he said. After the prayer group was finished, uh, I, I followed Charles out of the room, and he was about 15 paces ahead of me, and he rounded a corner, and I rounded it within a second or two after he did, and he was gone. I never saw him anymore. I, I went to the registrar and said, is there anyone registered named Charles? No one was. And I believe to this day that it was an angel set to warn me. I want to come back to our scriptures. The angel answered Cornelius in verse 4, your prayers and gifts of the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, who's called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. The angel also said something else of vital importance, which Stacy will speak on next week from chapter 11. And I don't want to steal his thunder for that, that verse. Then the angel left. Cornelius immediately called in his two servants and a soldier who had one of, one of his attendants and telling them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa to bring back Peter. Now, meanwhile, the Lord had, set a, had a work to do with Peter because Peter, at this point, was not ready to befriend a Gentile. Before I speak of what happened to Peter, I feel it is important to share another scripture from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hear that again. The author and finisher of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want to ask you a question. What does an author do? What does an author do? An author takes a blank piece of paper and writes anything he or she wants to on it. Takes a blank piece of paper and writes anything they want to on it. The author takes our Lord from the beginning of time has written out a plan for our lives. Hear that? Let me say it again. Our Lord from the beginning of time has written out a plan for our lives. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, according to, uh, according to the, plan, the plan, not a plan, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So God doesn't have, God isn't, doesn't have a plan A, B, C, and D. He only has the plan A, the plan A, because he is God and has all the resources to accomplish his purposes just by speaking, just by speaking. God doesn't react. He doesn't say, I didn't see this one coming. He initiates action before anything happens. And that is what we see happening in the lives of Cornelius and Peter in this story. Neither Cornelius or Peter had any idea about what the Lord was about to do. It wasn't even on their radar. As the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord was about to tear down the wall between Jew and Gentile and overturn thousands of years of traditional teaching about Jewish dietary laws given to Moses, given to protect the people. It was necessary at the time to protect and preserve his people. But times had changed. After a few thousand years, food changes. 
So one day after the angel appeared to Cornelius, the three men were on their way to Joppa. Peter went up on his roof to pray. Not uncommon, because roofs were flat, airy, and were sort of like our family rooms of today. While there, he became hungry, and while waiting for this meal to be prepared, fell into a trance. Peter was totally fixated or absorbed on what was happening. He saw something like a very large sheet drop down from heaven, by, suspended by its four corners, sort of like a projector screen, like one of these projector screens up here, you see. Peter got a slide presentation, if you will. Displayed on the sheet screen were all sorts of four-footed animals, reptiles and birds, none of which were on the Jews' dietary list. A voice told him by name to get up, Peter, kill and eat, verse 13. Peter said, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Do you see the contradiction? You don't call someone Lord and not do what they say. Surely not, Lord. In other words, Peter was saying no to God. That's how ingrained in Peter were the dietary laws. The voice spoke to him a second time, verse 15. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The people of this church, and perhaps all of North Carolina, should be happy about what was on that sheet. <laughs> I'm going to read what the Jews were not allowed to eat. It's found in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. I only read from Leviticus 11. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and it chews to cut. Now, some, do young people know what a cut is? Do you, you want to know how a cut's made? Ask a farmer before you leave today. <laughs> the camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax or the rock badger, does, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, did you know that? Rabbit chews the cud. Does not have a divided hoof, it is unclean for you. And the pig, here we go, guys. <laughs> though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. You may not eat that, their meat or touch their carcasses, they are unclean for you. Of all the creatures, here we go, living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. Fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins or scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to regard as unclean. And since you are to regard, regard them as unclean, you must not eat their meat. You must regard their carcasses as unclean. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales to be regarded as unclean by you. Then he goes on about birds. The eagle, you can't eat. Gull, you can't. Well, now you know why you feed gulls from the fantail of the boat going to Southport, because you're not supposed to eat them. You feed them. The owl and the bat. Well, I don't think I know I want to eat a bat, but anyhow. <laughs> Friends, where would we be without pork barbecue? <laughs> I'm sure there was a pig on that screen. Where would we be without shrimp, scallops, crabs? Oysters, none have fins and scales. A dolphin, shark, and other delicacies we pay extra for, such as escargots. 
snails. Orthodox Jews and conservative Jews, or actually most Jews to this day, will not eat certain of these foods, and especially not pork products. However, I do have a Jewish son-in-law that makes the best barbecue you've ever eaten <laughs> with liquid smoke and Jackson's barbecue sauce. We get him a case of Jackson's barbecue sauce every year to make barbecue. His Jewish mother, however, will not touch barbecue, but she loves bacon. <laughs> I think she feels that bacon comes from a package from the grocery store. The Lord was patient enough with Peter to tell him the same thing three times. In effect, he was saying, Peter, this is really important to the kingdom I'm building. You've got to get it. You've got to get it. By the way, Jesus had previously addressed this item about what we should eat in Matthew 15, verses 10 through 13 and 16 through 18, saying, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes one unclean. It's what comes out of the mouth that makes one unclean. Because what goes into the mouth goes to the stomach and is, is discharged from the body. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. That's what makes one unclean. Meanwhile, Peter was still on the roof thinking about the vision which, when men were sent from Cornelius arrived. The Holy Spirit told him that three men had arrived, told Peter that three men had arrived and were downstairs to see him and that it was okay to go with them because I, meaning the Lord, have sent them. Verse 10, 20. Cornelius probably thought he had sent them. Cornelius probably thought he had sent them. But he had been simply obedient to the instructions given to him by the angels sent from God. Again, God was the initiator. Peter went down and asked why they had come. They told him the story of what had happened with Cornelius and what the angel had told him to do. They gave him also some statements about the respect he had with the Jewish people. Peter would have realized that it was too late to start out on a trip to Caesarea 30 miles away, but they would have to leave the following morning. And at this point, Peter did something he had never done before. He invited the three Gentiles into his lodge and to break bread and spend the night. Friends, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. The invitation showed that Peter was already taking the first step toward accepting Gentiles. Because in his own words, upon arriving at Cornelius' house, Peter said to the large gathering that Cornelius had assembled, and I quote from verse 28, if you have your Bibles, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentile or visit, or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. That was a, and that, that was a giant statement for Peter. I should not call any man impure or unclean. And neither should we. Neither should we. Peter said, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius then proceeded to tell the vision what had now become a reality in his life, that he was directed to the person, Peter, and precisely where he could be found. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. That's what we call a word of knowledge or given by the Lord. The Lord always knows where we are, friends. He was tanner by the sea. We're at Walmart, we're in a car, we're traveling, we're home. He always knows where we are. And he, Cornelius completed sharing with these words in verse 33. 
33, 34, and 43 are very important verses. So listen to verse 33. Now we are all here in the presence of God. This is a Gentile centurion speaking. Now we are all in the, here in the presence of God. In the presence of God, we are here in the, it was said this morning, we're here in the presence of God. Matt said it. He could do anything. Every room is changed when you're in the presence of God. No, there was no room that Jesus ever went through that wasn't changed because he'd been there. Well, now we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. To listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Boy, here was a centurion. He knew what a, he knew what a command meant. I was in the Marine Corps. I know what a command means. I don't care if it's a sergeant, a lieutenant, a captain, or a general. When they command it, you do it. The first word out of Peter's mouth show how it was yielded to the Lord's will. Verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter then begins to preach the gospel about Jesus' life death, very on resurrection. Friends, the good news is not that Jesus lived and then died. The good news is that Jesus died and now lives. Lives, not lived, lives. He's here this morning. He told them that they have been commanded to preach to the people that gospel and to testify that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Peter told those gathered in Cornelius' house, here's verse 43, all the prophets testify him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. What's the necessary condition for forgiveness? To believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is necessary. Friends, good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven sinners go there. Here, that once again, oh, good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven sinners go to heaven. Because first of all, no one is good, according to the scriptures. No, not one. Oh, we may do good things, but that doesn't make us good. What we are before salvation is sinners who desperately need a savior. And what we are after salvation is sin, say, saints that sin, still sin. It takes, uh, that takes us to the scripture we've studied in our Beyond series, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is that name. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is that name. Oh, as we sang when the youth had the service, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. My friends, with the exception of the Godhead and the holy angels, only forgiven sinners will be heaven. Hear that? With the exception of the Godhead and the holy angels, only forgiven sinners will be in heaven. Not good people. Only forgiven sinners. That's not being narrow, that's being scriptural. So Peter concluded his gospel presentation, providing the answer to verse 43 that Cornelius and every person needs. 
that only through faith in Jesus can a person be right, made right with God, acceptable to God. Only through faith in Jesus can a person be right with God. And that's not being narrow, that's being scriptural. While Peter was still speaking, it was like a second Pentecost as the Spirit fell upon Cornelius' family, friends, guests, and they began to speak in other tongues and praise God. You might ask, the Jewish believers present were astonished. Well, where did those Jewish believers come from? The Jewish believers who were present were astonished. We know Peter was there. Where did the others come from? Well, you see that God who doesn't react but initiates action and providentially sent six Jewish believers to accompany Peter on a ship from Joppa. So together they could be witnesses when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believing Gentiles. In the same way he has been poured out on them in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15, all testimony and evidence had to be confirmed by two to three witnesses. Peter would be able to provide six witnesses to what was happened, to what had happened at Cornelius' house. The apostle Paul would later write in Romans chapter 10 verse 12, there is no difference between Jew and Greek, Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter then asked, can anyone keep these people from being baptized? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Briefly, I want us to understand that baptism is not about salvation or going to heaven. The thief on the cross who repented and believed in Jesus was not baptized before he died, but he went to paradise. Baptism is about obedience to the Lord's command in Matthew 28. Now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, along with you always, even to the end of the earth, ages. Baptism is, the, is thus a decoration to the world that we belong to Jesus. Set apart to serve. And that is the story of how the gospel came to the Gentiles. And all that I've said this morning is evidence that deserves a verdict. How many times have we here heard the gospel? A dozen, dozens, hundreds, hundreds times? When Cornelius heard the first time, the first time, he, his family, friends, and guests all received Christ. The first time. Do all of you here believe that only when you receive Jesus Will you be acceptable to God and bound for heaven? First John 5, 11, 12, and 13, I love it. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, we can know this morning. Right now, we can know.
please don't leave without knowing. And that is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I've done the best I can with my voice, Lord. I pray it was heard. Your spirit, Lord, can speak. It doesn't have to be through words. I would pray that you would do that, Lord. Lord, I would pray that everyone have known we have to believe and then we have to receive in order to know. But we can all know. Lord, would you move through this congregation by your spirit now, Lord Jesus? Speak into each heart what you the message you want to give them. That we might leave celebrating your resurrection in our own lives. And when that happens, Lord, we'll all give you praise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.